Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. All right. I'm used to saying good morning, but that is not the time. It is good evening, but I always feel like lurch, right? Good evening. Is that lurch? Does he say he says that. That's what I don't know. I've never seen that show. I just know that reference. Anyway, um, uh, we're glad that you are here. Jason also said I can't pass this square because I then won't be in the camera either. Man, there's a lot of rules on Wednesday night. All uh, right. So I'm just going to stay right here. I'm glad that you guys are here tonight. We are, we're gonna, we are in this uh, uh, series of life lessons, and I hope that I can add one to it. So uh, let's open up in a word of prayer, and we're going to get going. Father God, we just thank you for this time that we get to set aside in the middle of the week. God, that we can come, we can learn about you, you, you can minister to us, we can dive into your word and really dissect and, and get into it. And, and God, I just pray this, tonight that you just, you Reveal something new, Father. You reveal something that challenges us, that we can leave practically, leave here and do something practically. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I, I first off want to apologize. Um, I don't have a handout. I don't. I, I just, I don't. I'm sorry. I know you're used to something in your hand. But I was, uh, to tell you the truth, it's not that I didn't have the ability. I just don't want you judging my grammar and spelling. <laughs> Because just on my screen, I know what I'm supposed to be saying, but you don't. And and then it's just not coherent, and then I think you're laughing at me, so I, I'm sorry for that. But what we're going to do this morning, and not the, forgive me if I say that more than once, but uh, I want you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verse 30. We are going to look at a very familiar portion of Scripture, but um, before we get into that, I just want to... I want to ask you a question, and, and, and what that is, is like, how many, would, how many would agree that we are, we're kind of living in a time where we've kind of lost a little bit of empathy, a little bit of compassion, a little bit of, um, people are just kind of mean. Like, you go on social media for any any period of time and you post something controversial, you're going to find out how mean people can really be. And and I just want to, this tonight, just, just kind of confront something, not just for us, but may, maybe anybody that's watching online, that I, I just want to look at a section of scripture that I think really can address this dynamic that, that's kind of going on. And, and so... Um, like I said, this is a very uh, familiar portion of Scripture. It's the parable, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And uh, if you're not familiar with that, we're going to go through that uh, pretty extensively. It's probably, it's probably one of my most favorite parables. It is, it is my favorite parable. The reason why is, is because I think this is, this is Jesus being, just Jesus being Jesus. What I mean by that is it's like he's being kind of sassy in this. And if you don't know what I mean, like he's being like kind of a little, not sarcastic, but he's, he was first asked a question. So let's, 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 we're going to just dive right into this. So first off, in, in the first portion of scripture right before in, chap, in, in chapter 10, verse 25 through 29, uh, we just, we love context, right? 
we want to look at the context in which a scripture that we're studying is is referring to. And so the context is is that a a a student of the law or lack of a better term a lawyer was asking Jesus a question, and he says this in, in verse 25, it says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to Jesus' teacher. He, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds with, what is it written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's where we get our golden rule from. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Verse 29, but he, re- he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So this is our context. So here we got a lawyer who's, who's asking Jesus, you know, kind of, a, kind of a flippant question. And what he's doing is he's trying to provoke Jesus. Oftentimes you would see religious leaders, rabbis, Levites, and different people ask Jesus a a question not very earnestly. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of being around a teenager. Um, I used to substitute a lot. And there's nothing, I, you know, the, the whole thing of sowing and reaping is real because I was a substitute and I knew what I did to substitute teachers. And yeah, I had to rebuke some seeds so that if I was going to continue to do this job, I wasn't going to be harassed the entire time. But in that, I would, I, would get these, I would get these questions. And it's like, are you really? I don't want to call you stupid, but are you really asking me this question right now? And I would look at him and go, Ask that again. And they would just kind of look at me. It's like, are you willing to repeat yourself so that you can hear you? So I feel like this is one of those questions where Jesus is a far more patient than I am. And he, and he just says, well, what does the law say? You're a student of the law. What does the law say? And he, and he repeats, you know, love your neighbor, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he knew the answer. Have you ever been qu- asked a question where you knew the answer before you asked it. Well, then Jesus gives the response. He goes, yes, you're right. Do that, and you will live. Well, that wasn't really the response that this student of the law wanted, so he, he doubles down, and, and, and he says, well, who is my neighbor? And that's where we pick up our, our, our scripture in Matthew 30, verse 30. And so Jesus we're going, to go the, we're going to go through this verse by verse. And it says, in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and, when he was, and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. All right, stop there. That's the first scripture. So just a little bit more historical context. Jerusalem and Jericho were roughly about 17 miles away. So just think, just think maybe the outskirts of Golden Valley, right? Kingman is Jerusalem, outskirts of Golden Valley, that, that's Jericho. Jerusalem is also about 2,500, the elevation about 2,500 feet. Jericho, I didn't know this, learned this today. Jericho was 
800 feet below sea level. So it's about 30, what is that, 3,300 feet different? So you had to, that was quite a bit in, in 17 miles. That's a, that's a pretty good hike. Probably take you all, it would take me probably three days, but it would take one, a day or two. And so the, the, this, this, this pass, it wasn't just, it, it's, I know the scripture says it's a road, but it was more like a kind of switchback, winding road through these hills. And what would often happen is robbers would kind of hide, or, and, and these groups of bandits would kind of hide in the rocks or hide in the, uh, you know, above the hills. And, and when they would see someone traveling alone, they would jump down, rob them, and then... And then go. They probably had like I, I always think of like an old western where they have like a, a hideout in the hills, right? And so they they beat this guy to an inch of his life, took all of his stuff, and then left him for, and then left him for dead. Verse thirty one: A priest happened to be going down the same way. I want you to kind of you know remember that that word down the same road. And we saw the man; he passed by on the other side. Verse thirty two: So too. A Levite who came up to the place and saw him passed by the other side. So it's verse 31 32. So we got a priest and we got a Levite. Why is this important? Well, because the verse 30 says a Jewish man, Jewish man, priest, Levite, all same culture, same group of people. Huh? Who's a Samaritan? He's not a Samaritan. The good Samaritan. Really? If our role, I want to say this. If our roles were reversed, do you know the... We're going to talk later. I would expect this from Howie. (laughs) Anyway, wow. Okay, let me get back on track. All right, so <laughs> a Jewish man, I'm going to read that again, just to, you're making me second guess myself, man. Oh, I bet. Yeah, yeah I'm right. I'm not, I'm just going to keep going. If I'm wrong, you can confront me later, but I don't think I'm wrong. Anyway, oh, man. All right. So here we got a here we got a priest and a Levite. Why is that important? Because these were the religious leaders of the day. Because Israel was set up where yes they were under Roman rule, but Rome would would allow the 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 cultures that they conquered to still have somewhat of a little bit of sovereignty. They still had to pr- pay uh, 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 Roman taxes. They still had to serve. Uh, the Roman Empire, all this stuff, but they still allowed them to, instead of going in and just wiping out a culture, they would go in and, and say, look, we got the, 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 the biggest army. We don't really want to waste lives, so you can either just serve us, be a part of us, and you can, you can keep a little bit of your culture, or we could just wipe you out. And so Israel, you know, they rebelled, they did a little bit here and there, but overall, so they're being ruled by Rome, but they, they allowed them to keep their culture. And so the, the, the Levites and the, the 
the priests were still able to hold a lot of authority. And, and, and so Jesus is using these people because, number one, a Levite asked him a question. Because they were the, the, study, they were the ones who studied the law. They were the ones that uh, 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 would dictate to people what they can and can, cannot do based on the law. The rabbis would teach the law. And so he's, he's probably, there's probably some Levites and, and priests in the, the audience that he's telling this to. Along with, there's a lot of Jews there who are listening. So they understand the importance of the priest and the Levite coming down and passing this guy on the side. So at first glance, you're like, man, these guys are, these guys are kind of cold-blooded. Here, they got, here, here you have a guy that's, that's beaten up within an inch of his life on the side of the road, and they're just leaving him there. Remember that word I said? Remember, it's, it's, they, they, they were traveling down. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, theories about what these guys were doing, why they were going, which direction they were going. But I, I, I like to, and, and because I have the microphone, I'm going to say this, is I think that they were going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Because ultimately, it doesn't necessarily matter. All that matters is the fact that they didn't act. And so, here you have a, a priest. Let's start with the first guy. Here you have a priest that's leaving Jerusalem and going to Jericho. It's, it's known, if you look at historically, a lot of the priests and Levites lived in Jericho. They would go and do their work. They would work and, and serve in the temple and, and be up in Jerusalem for, for a period of time. And they would, they would kind of have like, I like to look at it like shifts, right? They do, they do their shift up at the temple and then they go back. And so they're, they're going home. They're going to their suburb. They're going to their, their, you know, their house. That's probably where they lived and, and did business and things like that was in Jericho. So, so they were walking home. They were going home and, and, and here they come across this guy. And, and they couldn't touch him because according to the Levitical law, they didn't know if he was alive or dead. And a priest and a Levite couldn't touch anything that was dead because it would make them unclean. And so both of them chose to step aside or, or the, the, the phrase... Pass by on the other side. This is kind of a difficult phrase to translate, it's, but it's a big, long word, and I have it. I'll give it to you. Uh, man, I don't want to try to pronounce that. But it, it means having seen him and went past, staying as far away from him as they could. It's basically the, con, the, 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 the definition of the word of passing by on the other side. It's a, fra- it's a one word in Hebrew or, or in Greek, but it means that, passing by on the other side. And so, once again, we look at this, this road, it's, it's, it's not this four-lane highway, it's this winding road that's going through the mountains from Jerusalem to Jericho. So, in my mind, because I have a pretty vivid imagination, I see this guy kind of sprawled out on the road, and, and here they go, they're just trying to sneak by as fast as they could without touching him because they would be, become unclean. And why is that important is because th- if they became unclean, there was a huge ritual or a process that they would have to go through to cleanse themselves. 
So it would just been a little bit inconvenient. So here they are going down from Jer- Jerusalem down into Jericho. They've already done there. One can even make the argument if they were going from Jerusalem, I'm sorry, Jericho up to Jerusalem, that they could, that they, if they were to touch this guy, they couldn't do their job. But their job was already done. And they were going home. And so they didn't want to become unclean. So they pass him by and they go to the other side and they leave him there. In verse 33 starts, it says, But a Samaritan, as he was traveling, came where the man was. And, he, uh, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. All right, once again, context. Why is this important? Because Jesus is using a people group that didn't like each other very much. The Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other very much. They, they, they believed different things. They viewed God in a different way. They had a little bit, they had different cultures. There's a whole, I mean, you you could do a whole series on just that of their differences. But he's telling a group, and specifically a Levite, that a Samaritan stopped and took pity on him, on this man. He stopped and he took pity on him. See that word, uh, that that word, he was, in other translations, it's, he was moved with compassion. It's the same word that we get in Matthew 9.36 and Luke 15.20. In 9.36 it says, in Matthew uh, 9.36 it says, but when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them. In Luke 15.20 it says, and, he, ar- and he, ar- uh, he arose and came to his father. But when uh, he was still a great way off, his father saw him and he had compassion. That second verse is talking about the parable of the, the prodigal son. And so you, here you have the same word that's used for this Samaritan when he said he had compassion on him. The first verse is talking about when Jesus fed the 5,000 The second verse is when Jesus is talking about a story that perfectly illustrates what the gospel is and how the the Father views each and every single one of us. He does so with compassion. So why do I bring that up? It's because when I I read this and, and the compassion that moved the Samaritan was one, it was a godly passion. It's the same word that's, that's used there. And so, and, and, and in fact, the definition of this word is to be deeply moved. There's verse 34. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring, out on, uh, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The phrase oil and wine really stood out to me because, well, first off, just historically, it's, it was in that that first century, that was, that was basically the, the, a very primitive form of medicine. 
they would use different scented oils and, and, and they would use wine because uh, 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 there was alcohol in it. Therefore, it could be a disinfectant. And so they would, he, he poured oil and wine on him. But I also think that there, there was some symbology in that. Because we see oil used all throughout the Bible for anointing. And, and, and I, I, I like to think that, that and, then the, and then wine, wine was one of the articles of communion. And so I look at this and I go, here Jesus is using this illustration of oil and wine. What did this man, what did the Samaritan man do for this Jewish man? He, he ministered to him. He ministered, him, ministered to him taking care of him, and then he puts him on his own donkey. So that just kind of shows you that is the severity of his wounds, and then further, the willingness, the Samaritan was, was with the willingness to put discomfort himself, to inconvenience himself, to make himself walk and throw this Jew on his donkey and go into Jerusalem. And then In verse 35, he took him, uh, the next day he took, him out, uh, he, uh, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. You see, this is, once again, another display of his compassion. He says he gives him two denarii, some, some translations says two, two silver pieces. Ultimately, historians believe that this was two Day's wages. And then doubles down on it and he just says, hey, let's just open up a tab. Whatever you spend over this amount that I've given you, I'll make, I'm going to come back and I'll, I'll pay off whatever he spends. Whatever you need to, whatever you need to do to take care of him, I'll make sure he's taken care of. So verse 36, it says, which of the, Jesus is talking, it says, which of, the, uh, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law says, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. See, here was the trick. The Levite didn't get the answer that he wanted. So Jesus, in return, rephrases and counters with a question. He was asked, well, who is my neighbor? He gives this beautiful story and then asks, who is the neighbor? And and you can kind of see the cultural um, tension is that the the student of the law didn't even want to say Samaritan. He just said the one who had mercy on him. It was kind of just like, oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, he, he was the one that was his neighbor. See, the thing is, is like, compassion, it's something that life requires. If you're writing any notes down, that's kind of, I, I jumped over the section where I told you what my title was. That's my title. Life requires compassion. And, the, and, it, and here's the thing, is, is that it's not just compassion that, that moves us to post something kind on social media. It's compassion that actually moves us to action. 
See, it, it's one thing to have compassion, like, and, and I'm just, I'll be very open, honest, and vulnerable. There's times where I'll, I'll be driving by and I'll, I'll see something, you know, I'll see someone holding a sign on the road and I'll, I'll have compassion, but it doesn't move me to stop. Am I the only one? I think we all maybe have done that. Or maybe you've seen a circumstance or a situation and you're like, oh man, that's really sad. And you keep swiping or you keep driving or you change the conversation. You see, a life lesson that we really need to take a hold of is, is, is the fact that we, as followers of Jesus, are called be, to be not just compassionate, but we need to be leading the race. We need to be leading the call to be compassionate. And look, at, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. It's something I really struggle with because my love language is sarcasm. Me and my wife, we could be really sarcastic to one another. We both know we're kidding, but other people don't. We've done it in front of people, and they look at us like, are you guys about ready to fight right now? It's like, no, I, I do that all the time. But my problem is, is that I can mentally ascend to the idea of being compassionate. But I have a hard time allowing that compassion to actually motivate me to act. And that's what's being required. And it's not just act because I think Jesus is making a very, very clear point in this, whole, in the, in this story. Because he uses a Jewish man, a priest, and a Levite. Because remember what the original question was, who is my neighbor? Here Jesus goes, a Jewish man, a priest, and a Levite. These three were neighbors, meaning they were of the same culture. They believed the same thing. They probably uh, um, had the same ideology. They all, they all celebrated the same feasts and dietary requirements, all of these things. These three men were part of the same group. They were neighbors. But it was the outsider that actually treated the man in need like a neighbor. And so I think what Jesus is saying with this story is he's going, instead of wondering who your neighbor is, just be a good neighbor. And so what I mean by that is I, I have spent a lot of time, probably too much time, evaluating and actually making scriptural justifications of why I shouldn't do something for someone instead of just submitting and going, you know what, God, at the end of the day, I'm going to submit and I'm going to allow this compassion that you've given me to move me into action. You see, compassion compassion, love, kindness it's not reserved for only the ones who you identify with. It's not reserved for, the, for only the ones that are a part of your social group. It's not reserved for the, only, for the ones that are part of your political party. It's not reserved for the ones that 
do things for you. This is not a quick pro quo type of deal. Compassion, the compassion that God calls us to and the compassion that, that is illustrated in this story is one that is beyond cultural lines. It's beyond ideology. It's beyond political party or, or beyond, uh, um, well, you look like me, you sound like me, you talk like me, you, you think like me. And, and here's the thing, this is, where, this is where I struggle. Where I struggle is as well, they need to do it first. You first. I remember growing up, and me and Jason would be doing something, and and he he needed me to do something. I needed him to do something, or or whatever. And and that would be the first thing. Well, you first. Why? Because I didn't trust him. I got burnt before, and he did too. I burnt him. It's all right. I think he literally burned me one time. But anyway, that's beside the point. Here's the thing. People outside of Christianity, the people out, out these doors, they don't have a mandate on them. We do. So what does this look like? What does this look like on a practical scale? What the, on a practical scale. What this means, be nice. And look at it. I'm saying this more to me and I'm saying this to you. Because I have this, I, uh, I, I've been categorized. I asked my wife the other day, and I was like, babe, am I nice? She's like, no. <laughs> she answered very quickly and very um, enthusiastically, no. I was like, what? I'm nice. She goes, you're not a nice person. She goes, you're kind. You're compassionate. You're kind. You're all these things. But would I categorize you as nice? She's like, no. Like, well, what do you, how can you be compassionate and, and kind, but not, not, she goes, you're not approachable. She goes, you, you, you're, you have a, a air about you where people don't want to approach you. I was like, well, is that my fault? <laughs> She's like, exactly. <laughs> my dad's laughing so hard because we literally talked about this today. And it's something that I need to work on. And a lot of times what it is, and it's not, and look at it, it's not anything um, malicious or intentional. What it is, is I just, I'm, I'm in my own head. I don't tell my face to smile. I'm thinking about something. And here's my, pro, here's one of the biggest practical things. If you look at me and say hello, and I don't say anything, but I smile at you, I registered in my brain that I communicated with you. And I walk past you thinking, we had a great interaction. And probably some of you in this room are going, oh, okay, that's the problem. But my wife will grab me, and I've given her permission to do this. And I say, if I do that in front of you, please, like, punch me or, like, you know, 
tap me on the shoulder, do something to draw, like to, to make, and, and, and so I'm really trying really hard. So to, when I see people to move my mouth, I like talking a lot. I do like the sound of my own voice. So why don't I engage? And, and most of it is innocuous and it's unintentional. But if I'm truly going to do what Jesus has called me to do and be compassionate, loving, and kind, I have to open up my mouth. I have to inform my face. I actually have to allow that compassion to move into action. So what does that mean? That means maybe not getting in arguments on social media. That means maybe giving someone, because here's, here's the thing, we can be compassionate, loving, and kind without justifying or accepting people's lifestyles. And what I mean by that, it's not that we're, we're saying, oh, hey, it's all, it's, everything's okay. It's saying, you, you know what, look it, I may not agree with what you're doing. I may not think like you think, but you know what? I'm going to love you. I'm going to be kind to you. I'm going to speak to you. And even if, even if you're rude to me, you shut me down, you tell me you don't want anything to do with me, okay, not a problem. If you ever need someone to talk to, I'll be here. You'll be surprised on how far that goes instead of being confrontational. But the problem is, is it's against our very nature. It's against mine. I love, once again, this is, this is probably more of a true confession session than it really is a, anything else. I love to argue. I love it. I'll take, I'll take the opposing side of what I actually believe just to argue with you. There's people in this room I've done that with. They're like, I know you don't believe the words that are coming out of your mouth, but you don't want to stop fighting. It's like, yeah, I thoroughly enjoy it. My dad said the other day, I should have been a lawyer. Because I just love, I, but yeah. Because I, I don't, I, I just love the, the mental gymnastics or the mental calisthenics of dismantling or coming up with an argument. But the problem with that is it shuts people off. The problem with doing that all the time, even though you're right, is as people don't realize or people won't be able to experience the compassion and love and kindness that God has actually called us to. Because it's not just a flippant thing. It's not just a, a it, is, it, is the, it is the foundation in which being a Christian, Jesus said they will know that you are my disciples because of your love for one another. And it's not just the love that we have in this room. for Because look at, Jesus pointed it out. Look at, we are all neighbors. We're all of the, we're the, we're the three dudes. We're, the, we're, we're either the priest, the Levite, or the, Jew, the, the man who got beat up. That's who we are. Because we think alike. There may be some minute di differences. But we think similarly we believe similarly. But look at, we, we're all in the building. We all get to call heaven home. 
And I'm not saying that we're not, impo- we're not important and the person next to you is not important. I'm saying there's a whole lot of people that need to experience the true love, compassion, and kindness. Paul says it's his love and kindness that draw men unto repentance. It doesn't say that you're going to argue someone into heaven. Not saying it can't happen. But it's probably very rare. It's his love and kindness. The man was moved with compassion. He was moved deeply. So what I like what I want to challenge you this morning is life it requires compassion. And I would dare I say that God demands compassion. And I and I and I'm choosing my words very deliberately. I think it's 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 expected of us. Look at when I grew growing up in the household I did, there were things that were expected of me. If you wanted to call this home home, these things were expected of you. If we want to call heaven home, there are certain things that are expected of us. Salvation 100% free. You can't earn it, you can't buy it, you can't repay it. But once we get in the doors, there's some there's a job that has to be done. And it starts with us allowing love, kindness, and compassion to be the guiding force in our life instead of arrogance, instead of hostility, instead of just the, the, the desire to be right. I love being right. I love it. I love being right, and then I'm told I'm wrong for someone then to do it and then proving me right, and I just get to sit there and smile. And I don't smile. I let them know that I was right. That's something that I got to work out. (laughs) That's something I got to work out. But the only way I'm going to be able to work that out is allowing compassion, love, and kindness to dictate my life. Does that make sense? I know that was a little bit all over the place, but I feel that that was... And it may, hey, you may have not gotten anything, but I know God spoke to me when I was writing this, so. But I just want to close in prayer and let you guys go, all right? Father God, I just thank you for this time. God, I just pray, Lord, that you just, you challenge us this, uh, this evening, God, that we leave this place with a, with a new sense of desire to be more compassionate, God. That it ultimately, that you are not, you're not freaked out about the fact that we may associate with unbelievers. In fact, you expect us to. That we can be kind, that we can be loving, that we can be compassionate for the, to those who haven't yet had an encounter with you. Because dare I say that love and compassion from us leads to an encounter for them. So, Father, I thank you. God, give us the strength and the courage because you know what? Sometimes being kind and being nice makes us feel vulnerable. But when we feel vulnerable, when we are vulnerable, that's when you become strong. That's when you come around 
and you put a hedge around us. So I pray right now that you do that tonight. You put a hedge around our heart, a hedge around our mind, so that we have this, the strength and more important, importantly, that we have the, durant, the endurance so that we do not suffer from compassion fatigue. And we thank you for what you're doing through this place. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys. Oh, I just wanted to announce one. Uh, what day is that? That's September 4th. Uh, um, we are having a new uh, life group on the book of Hosea starting September 4th, and that's going to be in classroom number four. Um, and so Johanna is going to be in the lobby if you have any questions about that. And there's a sign-up as well. Awesome. So you guys are free to go. Thank you. Bye, everybody online. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.